<laughs> Holy Samoans. Welcome everyone to session three of number 73 of the study group of the building love that lasts manuscript, which has been circulating around for a long time, almost 20 years. So when was it? 2004? In any case. Does anybody have any sharing from your daring edge work experiments that you've been working on this week? Yes. Go, Martina. I I did I, I agreed to make this experiment to to phone someone. And um, I was thinking about whom whom can I phone and Dorothea was saying something in the last call that was touching me very much and I decided to call her, even though I don't know her, I've never seen her before and I I phoned her yesterday and I didn't reach her so I, I did it again today. And we had a very refreshing, very cool and very, very, yeah, very good telephone call. Yes. Martina, the, I mean, the, the experiment was to call for no reason and to see mm -hmm. what happened. So can you say a little bit about that? About yeah, it, it was this uh, that I, um, I had no reason to call her. I just wanted to to get in contact with her, and I had no, I had nothing to say. I just, I just said that I wanted to to get in touch with her, and um, it, I, I had the fear level was very high because I had no reason. The reason gives gives me the um, the allowedness, the permission to do that. Like I call you because I have that reason. And when I and I didn't have the reason, so I didn't have somehow not the permission to do that, and that raised my fear level. Yeah. We're, we're working on a website. Where is working on the websites? We've been writing up experiments for websites as a team, and Vera Franco is working on this website about fear of connection. Oh no, Naomi. Naomi. All right. Yes, Naomi Barndorf, are you here? Mm -hmm. You can defend yourself somehow. <laughs> anyway, what, what she was saying, was, what we were discovering and being, being radicalized by is this uh, clarity, this experiential clarity that actually human beings are in connection with all other human beings and also other life forms and all the time, already, it isn't as if you can be out of connection. There's, and what you can be out of is intimacy. But so uh, there's this confusion in us about, about connection, being connected. Am I connected? I'm not connected. And then when we have this model in our head, something like I'm not connected or I'm, but in, in reality, we have this energetic level connection with everybody all over all the time. And so that's a new, it could be a new starting point for you. Can I say? Yeah. Well, it's, then it's, 
if you're looking for or create you're looking for creating or building connection it it it's empty or it's it's a fantasy world or it's not confusing. it's confusing because it's because it's already there and this distinction of wanting to uh, create or make an offer for intimacy then opens all these domain of well, what is the kind of in what kind of intimacy do I want? Which body do I want intimacy in? What do my five body want or are longing for? Or then there's this, it's much more diverse and various and full of possibility than this uh, trying to fulfill the concept of connection as if you're disconnected. I think that what we're encountering is our first experiment already. Uh, today, this for this for the study group is is to walk through your day, like just start walking through your day, noticing that you are already connected, not just connected with a couple of people, but actually connected with everybody. And so, you may have a leftover childhood or story or star about being alone or being lonely or being disconnected or having a fear of connection or being incapable of being connected. Like these, does anybody have any kind of these kind of stories around floating around from leftover? Okay. So this, this kind of experiment, this experiment is just blow that thing up and you blow it up experientially. And so the way the, way the experiment would go is to talk, first of all, notice the connection. Like, I mean, it can even be bothersome how connected you are. I mean, like we, we're in this little apartment and the, our front door is, the only window is glass and it opens up onto a street and the street is often people walking by. And so every single person that walks by or the neighbors across the street, like today, I'm sitting here typing away on a, on a website and the door was open and, and you know that, that thing where you look up at the same time somebody else looks up and you're both looking in each other's eyes, you know that you're from across the room. Okay, that happened today with this overweight, middle-aged, cigarette-smoking, um, alcohol-drinking woman across the street from me. You know, and she looked up and I looked up and we were just in this intimate connection. And I didn't want to be connected with her, you know, but I didn't do anything. We didn't, we didn't do anything about it, but it was just like, that's how connected we are. You look up at somebody across the way and they look up at the same time and you're looking in each other's eyes and there's this being-to-being -being connection. You don't even know anything else about them, you know, except that you're connected. And so that's this experiment is to, you don't have to know anything about anybody and you're already connected. I mean, I, I was in this class long ago called Silva Mind and they taught, they, they guaranteed that our money back if in two weekends we were not completely convinced that we were psychic, like had this psychic connections. And so, we had these cards with, with people's names on it and some ailment uh, that they had. 
on the other side of the card. So you have your name, their age, if they're male or female, and their proximate location on planet Earth. And on the back of the card was some ailment. You just go through and you just kind of start psychically connecting with people. And I was just doing this guy in Los Angeles and I'm just doing his checking him out. And I'm going, Dad, his, his kidneys are fine. His, his brain is fine. His heart is fine. And he's missing his left leg above the, above the knee. My hands just went like this. I, and I felt it. And the person turns the car, card over and it says, yes. And they're missing the left leg above the, the knee. And so this is how connected we are. We even know what, what condition health-wise other people have. That's how connected we are. And so, so this, these lines, these lines of connection are already there. So the, this experiment is to go through your world and check out those connections. You just look at people and see if they look at you or, uh, and then this whole idea of being not connected or incapable of connection, just blow it up out of the water, just completely explode the thing and start over again as being an, you know, fully connected, participant on planet earth. Does everybody get the experiment? It's a whole different starting point. So, so there are no strangers, essentially, that's what this means. Like there was an yeah. journeyer training in, in Robinsburg, we practice this exercise called how to start an, an amazing conversation with a stranger. And so, the point is that there are no strangers. So what that means is for part of this experiment, just to test is you walk up to different people and say, how's it going? You know, like what are, is your life going okay? Like that, or what, something like that. And then just listen to them for a second and see what they say back and just walk away and say, okay, thanks. You know, you meet people on this, the bus, or the train, or the elevator, or the parking lot, you know, just all the time, just, just say stuff like that. In the grocery store, you know, just make comments like that. And it's a comment as if you're already connected. It is, it is as if, you know, not as if you are a stranger. This is the experiment. And it'll start nurturing this whole other part of yourself to be a well-connected, a fully connected human being on planet Earth now what are you going to do? Now what poor sob story are you going to tell yourself about being left out or disconnected? Oh, my God. Thank you, Martina. Anybody else have anything from your experiments? Yes, Angela. Um, I also was thinking about this experiment, and uh, I couldn't find anybody without um, to not call with a reason. <laughs> So um, I didn't do it. I thought really about it twice. And um, but the other experiment I did was um, to really be or do nothing. Yeah, to really just sit down and just do nothing. And I'm coming out of a time where I really let uh, you call it now gremlin uh, cannibalism. I'm coming out of a time like that, and it was somehow so good to just be with myself and not to try to avoid or do even now I have to feel or something, just just be and to not um, leave myself. 
Yeah, to not just walk away from myself, but just be with me and whatever came up. And I managed to half an hour several times. And it was really nourishing somehow to just be with whatever came. Yeah, also not trying to think about something or, yeah, no, nothing, no stories, just be. Yeah, so it was weird. It was <laughs> weird. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah. yeah. Great. I'm glad you did that. I hope other people will do this soon. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Anybody else? Eva? Yes. I did two experiments this week, and one was to cavitate space. And I did it when I held space for Rage Club this weekend. And the outcome was that the space felt so much more solid, like the, it was different than just, you know, making this cube of workspace. It was really like I could nearly touch touch the, the space we were in and, and things were possible that just weren't possible before. Hmm. Like I said stuff to people that just came through me so directly and, and I, actually like on Saturday evening, I just had this huge emotional reaction about what I had said to people afterwards because while I was in that space, I wasn't scared at all. And then in the Saturday evening, like the breakdown came then because it was like, oh, oh my God, what did I do? So, <laughs> yeah. And, and that was, that was, I was really amazed by being able to nearly touch this space, this new space that, that came up from, from doing that. And, and then I did another experiment that was, I was walking around with this no reason thing and I'm, I'm just not getting it. <laughs> and, and I did something like, for example, in my team, I didn't go to the meeting on Friday and I just said, I'm not coming without any reason. And I, my impression is it's like, it's blowing up communication or it's, it's, it's irritating people a lot and it's creating messes and mm, yeah. So I, I'm just being with that. I, I have the impression I'm I'm not getting it at all and I'm I'm going further with that. Thank you. Thank you. I mean just to clarify a little bit, the no reason thing is not to offend people. It's not to upset people or not to avoid responsibility. It's to take such radical responsibility that the reason does not have the power. When you make a decision, you take the full brunt, the full weight, the burden of your decision or action or non-action or communication. You take the full of it, not the reason. And the reason is like peanut butter. It's like, you know, in America, they have this stuff they call bread, but it's just this white foamy excuse to eat peanut butter. So that's the point. The point is eating the peanut butter, not the bread. There isn't any bread in America. So. <laughs> I know there's special bakeries and stuff like I mean, bagels and things. Okay. For, for example, I Clinton and I were reading this book called Shadow of Edgemon, which is part of the Shadow series of Orson Scott Card, which I I really recommend any book by Orson Scott Card. And in the book, there is this: the two people are on on the run. And so they made this agreement that any at any time somebody can pack 
the bags for both both people and say it's it's moving day. We're moving out. We're leaving. We're leaving for no reason. And the reason for that, or the the purpose of it, is they figured out that if they're on the run and somebody had a, a hunch or this this um, unconscious cues, which is really fear, but it's you know it's not big enough to come up with a full uh, explanation. And you know they get caught and they get tortured and they're gonna get killed and they say, well, well, I know we should have moved in. And the other person said, well, why didn't you say anything? And the other person said, well, because I didn't have any reason. Mm. And then and then the result is that they die. And so we decided with Clinton is that we will we're doing the same experiment. At any time, any one of us can say we're moving out, and the other person gets to decide where. <laughs> 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 yeah, I think everyone. Yeah. Okay, good things. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll write it. Yeah. Thank you. And the previous um, contact too about the uh, striking up conversations with strangers was it a book or something? Could you write that? Also, that was an exercise. It was a there's a map somewhere, but it's a it's a series of tools for ways to start up a, amazing conversations with strangers. So uh, it might be listed on the PM map, Thought Maps website. Would you put that up too? The mm -hmm. PM Thought Maps website? I think it's up. And, and if, if you need it, I mean, if you need that information, invent it yourself. You go into this space for ways to, to create amazing conversations with either quote unquote strangers. I mean, for example, there's a, a whole bunch of people. Some of them are here, like Dawe and Sky and Vera in America, or Christina and Martin and Nicole in uh, Chechnya, who were on the street <laughs> delivering the menu. And what I heard is the hardest part is to have people come and sit down. Because the moment people sit down in these two chairs delivering transformational work, transformation happens. So people leave and they and they, they have experienced something, but the hardest part is to have them come and sit in the chair. And, and that's really how to start a, a conversation with a stranger that will lead to them sitting in a chair in a transformational space. So these guys, I know there's some uh, articles being written and to share um, what they've learned about that. I'm gonna bring people into the chair of the menu. I'll, uh, there's a website that's started about that. Yeah, the, one of the keys is just simply having a couple of segue phrases. And the segue is a term from music from the studio where you're taking two, two uh, pieces of sound or, or part of the film and you're just gluing them together. It's just called a segue. And so there's a segue phrase, which is the glue that, that takes the space that the other person is in and the space that you're in and glues them together so it becomes the same space. And that's what the segue phrase is. And you can, the segue phrase does not have to mean so much, but it's simply, it's just simply things like, I, I think you're a person of possibility. Or my, my the, the intuition impulse that I'm having right now is not to ask you a question. That in fact, you have a question to ask me. Or it just comes from the moment, but you, if you had two or three that you just remember, then after a while you start improvising. It doesn't take very long. So, but Nicole, you could just start a list, make, just make a list of segue phrases 
for, and then share them with us as you get, after you get 20 or 25, okay? Yes. I really wanted to say that you have amazing hair, but actually what I really wanted to say is, what? that's a segue phrase. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm already in the conversation. Yeah, I see. <laughs> Hooked. Hooked. Hooked, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to say something that's, um, it's about this connection and, and but what I realized today, I had a wonderful call. It was sort of, there was a reason and a purpose, but I had a wonderful call with Ingrid uh, today. And I realized that really in the, as this study group started, and then also the whole possibilitator training started and rage club world started, fear club world and, and all kind of the specialties that have emerged from the possibilitator training that started about two years ago, or two and a half years ago. Um, it was March, 2020 when the, the COVID hit. And in those two years, I have experienced, including myself, but I've experienced, I've seen many people move themselves, move their point of origin into archaearchy and into next culture and being able to create the resources that they need from their, from delivering their non-material value. So how many people have you shifted that you can go about, live your life, delivering your non-material value? You've shifted in the past two years. Oh, it's happened. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. So it was half. Yeah. About half. about half. And that, I know there's a bunch of other other people there. Yeah. So I just wanted to say it's possible. And I, I think it takes about that amount of time if there's a, I was going to say, if you do what we say, <laughs> if you have a possibility team and you join a rage club and join rage club spaceholder training and deliver rage club and then fear club and fear club spaceholder training. And then you start deliver, you know, discovering what you really, what matters to you, what really you care about. In, for example, Eva was this good girl buster that's still, I think, going on. Yeah. Still going on right now. Yeah. And, but this possibility parenting that's been a money club, 333. I mean, the list just goes on about what people have discovered and invented to, to be alive or to have fun to just, but it's possible. And I, and I, I think it has to do with this ability to connect, to be connected and to be intimate, to really be intimate with other people and be seen, be seen and vulnerable. And so this, what I wanted to say is also this um, concept of disconnection. It's something like connection already happens. And the proposal from Clinton is just explode the fantasy world or the concept that you're disconnected but when you do that, what, what will come up are probably emotional healing processes. Like for example, mix, mix fear and sadness or shame or guilt or, or other emotional healing processes that are in the way of this immediate connection with other people. And, and, to, and just do the emotional healing process, remove the blocks. That's what I'm saying. It's already there, just remove the blocks that's in the way of what's already there. There's this woman named Anna Breitenbach. Does anybody know about her? Couple. So she, she has this connection with animals. And so her, the thing that turns her on 
is teaching other people how to talk to an animals and plants. And, and so, you know, it, it doesn't have to make a lot of sense in terms of any of the uh, value systems of modern culture, the thing that you're here to deliver for people, to open up knacks or to make, uh, give people talents and bring it. You know, I had a workshop with her at the Gen, at the, uh, at the uh, Zeg Eco Village one summer, I was with this, you know, an hour and a half, two hour workshop with Anna Breitenbach and we had to go out and talk to something. So I went out and talked to this apple tree. I still remember my conversation with this apple tree that I had at Zeg, you know, five years ago. And so, the, so these things, I don't know what your thing is. And you know, like Anne Chloe said, it starts with rage club and fear club and these things open up our, are like the, the, the basic core raw energies, but, but the way it will show up for you as to what your, you know, your part of archaearchy is, is cannot be predicted. You know, I, we don't know what it is, but there's these, the core elements you need, anger, sadness, fear, and joy. You need the resources. And once you have your resources, your particular non-material value has the, resources to show up to actually be delivered so, so it doesn't have to be a rage club space holding mm -hmm. but it, it's a great way to start with that well clinton something that's been alive for me which goes with what you guys are talking about because i've started listening to the the book study recordings from the oh, beginning i think it was on the fifth one that you were saying um you know just um, I don't know what the word was like, just just gather or, or, or get the matrix and the transformation will happen on its own. So do the experiments, do the processes, you know, whatever that is. And, and yeah, and then the transformation just happens. So. My opinion did not change on that one bit. <laughs> yeah, it's evolution by reflex. Build the matrix and the stuff will just pop out. I think you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Therefore, I should start reading from the book. Are you reading or me reading? I'll read. Okay. But okay. just in, interrupt me. I will. Okay, we're on page 202, section 6X, I think, and minding, minding your own business. Mind your own business. After all this talk of saying yes or no, asking for what you want, making boundaries, and so on. It is still necessary to directly examine a particularly pernicious mechanicality of the box that undermines even noble efforts to establish extraordinary human relationship. The mechanicality comes from the box basic assertion that it, its own solution to the problem of life are the best solution to all prob problems of life. Since your box assume it has the best answers, whenever there is a conflict between your box and anyone else's box, I mean, just as a, a reminder is, mm, any conflict that you have in your life, it's not you who's having the conflict. It is your box. So box and gremlin who has the conflict. And the point, mm, I mean, in my experience is 
especially for those of us who've been born and raised in a culture of right and wrong and sins and virtues and such distinction that are really only shadow principles, it is so easy to consider that any box reaction or gremlin reaction is bad. And therefore, one of the strategies to numb it and say, okay, I have no conflict with anybody because, and then my box doesn't own me. That's really losing the opportunity for evolution. Because really my, my experience is that every time your underworld comes up through a box, you know, your underworld is just what is unconscious. So through a box reaction or gremlin move, it's just your next step of evolution. It gets put onto your table. That's, that's all that's happening. It's saying, God, this behavior could be, could be changed. And so to, the proposal is to not numb the conflict, but to use it as a way of connecting or a way of evolving or as a doorway for something else is possible. But this is this box mechanicality will say, I'm right. This is really by saying, I am right. And the choice is you can either be right or you can be in relationship. You want to add anything to that? No. Okay. Okay, so whenever there's a conflict between your box and anyone else's box, the obvious solution is for the other person. Wait, I'm starting again. I missed a sentence. Since your box assumes it has the best answers, whenever there's a conflict between your box and anyone else's box, the obvious solution is for the other person to change so they are using your better solution. Your box is absolutely committed to the viewpoint that the other person is wrong and stupid. If they do not change in the way we see, you see, they could so easily change. Anybody know what we're talking about here? <laughs> okay. <laughs> no. the, the commitment is so big because it's a survival level decision. It's a survival level commitment because it has worked for us then obviously it, it, it is an absolute conclusion that is the best possible solution in the whole world. And that's our conviction comes out of the fact that we have survived. So it's not like we're being too arrogant or whatever. It's just, it's just a, a what do you call self-referenced framework, just this self-referenced framework. I have a question. How, how I'm thinking of times where it 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 was a for me it was about I had a distinction that I was landing and I wasn't it wasn't reaching the person and and they or or and they had like a reactivity to the distinction and and it, I end up in the same place that that you're describing here where it starts to become like a box to box conversation. And, and I, I'm having this, yeah, the, the impulse is to keep trying to land my distinction and, and then it just makes it worse. Yeah, probably the impulse is just to kill the other person because they don't get it. And, and I'm, I'm sort of joking, but I'm sort of not because it's so frustrating that 
you know, the goodwill, the goodwill behind trying to offer a possibility and somebody not getting it. And so you're trying to have them have a better life, but if they don't get it, we'll just kill them. So it's like there's a strange, bizarre uh, mechanism going on in there. And so the, this thing, so your question is, what is your question exactly? Mm. Yeah, like how do I know when, yeah, it's like, it's like, it's like it's a different maneuver, it's a different move, like, but it's turning into the same thing and how, how to catch that or something. The way to go with that is to check your purpose because your purpose is trying to change them or your purpose is to try to get them to agree with you. Your purpose is trying to get them to understand. And whatever your purpose is, is different from their purpose. So uh, there's a, some, one of the boxes, I forget which one, is this identity of kind of going around, I have the solution for a better world. And it's like this is- mm, The savior. Yeah. Okay, so this is just a box survival yeah. strategy. It has worked for you up until now, but the, the, I, the coming from place, if you're coming from the place that you have a solution for a better world, it's over. The whole conversation is over. Yeah. It's not a real conversation. It is a manipulation or a domination kind of thing. You're trying to get the other person to agree to your better solution for the world. The world would be a better place if. And yeah. it seems well justified because there's logic behind it. Or you think, well, if everybody did this, then we would have a better world. And in, but in fact, there's the purpose behind it is this manipulation and control. And superiority. Yeah. Thank you. One experiment that you could do, you know, to a, sort of to an extreme in terms of your, your box is you go around and you let people have their problems. You go around and people have problems and you just, God, that's a fascinating problem. God, you work really hard for that problem. I'm so glad to be around people with problems. You know, and then, and then you, the, the purpose becomes about just being connected with the person who's really wrestling with something. And, it, and it's actually pretty incredibly beautiful. I don't like using that word, but to see people wrestle with their problems. So what are they going to come up with to, to deal with that or not? Thank you. Yeah. Okay, I, I keep reading. Nicole, yeah. Go I ahead. Want, uh, I, I noticed for myself uh, uh, the moment when, when the switch goes from just giving a proposal or a possibility to being right. And the thing is when I notice that I can't decide to say nothing anymore. So, so when, when the other person is reacting and I don't feel I'm close to the possibility to say nothing, then I know that I'm on the being right track. 
and and this I can feel. I I feel it. Uh, it's it's a rigidity taste in my body, something like that. And and when I catch myself there, I can stop. Mm -hmm. I'm able to stop and and just relax. In in would you share the experiment that you shared with me this morning about this, the heart? Because I think yes. that's part of what you're doing. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I do an experiment in the moment in, since about three weeks to be with a with a person, which is sometimes difficult for me, and and to focus one hundred percent on myself when I think of the person, when I speak with the person on the phone and when I am with the person. And then I just notice uh, what is going on in my body or what thought is coming up in my head or what feeling. And I say it out loud, innerly, so not really out loud, but, but to myself. And then I leave my mind. That's the most important step for me to, to go out of mind function, go on my heart level, open the heart and relax into that. And uh, the, what I notice since I'm doing that, I choose my husband for it and another person. And now I'm making it more often also with other person. What I notice is I'm more focused, I'm more centered. And I'm unhookable, I become more unhookable. And uh, uh, I don't say so much, and I see nevertheless impact. And the, the, the impact is, uh, I give an example to, uh, this morning. We have workers here and I was not dressed yet. And usually my husband says, oh, this is awful. And I didn't, say, he, I, I simply didn't say anything. And then he accepted that I wanted to wait to take my shower until the people is there and not before. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ingrid. Oh, I keep reading. So despite all our your efforts, have you ever succeeded in changing anyone? Has anyone ever succeeded in changing anyone? Well, no. Change behaviors is not so simple. For example, change of behavior does not result, a change of behavior does not result from changing your behavior. Let me keep reading, because I'm as confused as you. <laughs> change of behavior results from changing the design of your box. Okay, I mean, what, is that, what that means is changing your behavior does not come out of will. It does not come out of positive thinking. Like, I have to change, I will change myself. So I, I should, I must, I have to. I cannot, yeah, <clears throat> not allowed. So change of behavior results from changing the design of your box, which, which does not change except through building new matrix to, ex, to hold expanded consciousness. That's what 
uh, Nicole Wagner was talking about just before. This expanded consciousness reshapes your box by taking it through the liquid state into a new form. Yet, astonishingly, astonishing as it is, we still listen. You still listen to your box, insisting that the solution to your problem would be so easy if only the other person would change. The fact that they do not change is the source of your irritation. The view that your problems as the are the other person's fault grips your thinking like Velcro, Velcro gloves grip the back of a sheep. I'll say that again. The view that your problems are the other person's fault grips your thinking like Velcro gloves grip the back of a sheep. I have to give a little anecdote to the metaphor because it comes from an old cowboy joke. <clears throat> where these lone cowboys are out there in the fields and a cowboy <clears throat> comes up and he says, I uh, have a new use for sheep. The guy goes, really, what is it? He goes, yeah, wool. It's a cowboy joke, I guess. You'll, you'll get it tomorrow or the next day maybe. I had to do that's where that comes from is that the Velcro gloves, gloves gripping the back of a sheep like that's where that comes from. I used to live in Arizona. I mean, <laughs> somebody got it. <laughs> your partnership problems do not come from your partner not changing. What you should say that again. Yeah. Your partnerships, your partnership problems do not come from your partner not changing. How many people, you have this coaching set up for a couple and they sit down in front of you and the first thing they, the one person says is, you know, if you would change, <clears throat> you know, and they're both trying to change each other. Like anybody ever have that with a partner, with couples? Yeah. So how are you going to convince them that that is not what's going on. It's really, it's a, it's a basic fundamental uh, design in us. It's like somebody else's fault. You are the problem. Okay, anyway. Your problem with your partner come from your own rigidity about how things should be. It takes ruthless self-honesty to admit that your real challenge is the rigidity of your box expectation. Have we, ever, have we talked about expectation before? No. Okay. I mean, probably many of you know about this, the mechanics of expectation, but as probably not everybody, I'll, I'll mention it. We've discovered, we made this incredible discovery of the mechanics of the process of the best way to take revenge on your partner. And it starts by making an assumption about how your partner should behave or how the partnership should go, how the relating should go. And anybody can make any assumption about anything. And so you, there you go, you make an assumption and in top of, on top of that, you assume that your assumption is true. Like you're not stupid about making such assumption that you should be like this. And by making a double assumption, assuming something and then assuming that your assumption is true, it turns your assumption into an expectation. 
you should behave like this. You know, you should change. You should make my life better or it should go like this. And really the, the switch between assumption and expectation is so quick. It is so rapid. And then you're holding this expectation that is basically instead of being with your partner, you are with this image that, that your partner should be, how, how they should be. And if by any chance your partner does not match, does not fulfill your expectation, what do you feel? It's this rage. And this type of rage of an unfulfilled expectation is called resentment because there's also fear and sadness actually mixed in it, but mostly it's this rage of feeling betrayed. But you've set up the, the betrayal from the beginning by making the assumption and turning it into an expectation. So it's possible that you might, you might look at your life and you realize, well, no, I don't have any resentment. Well, that for one thing, it could be that you've learned to make zero assumption, to, live, to walk around in the world and make zero assumption, which is a pretty uh, advanced skill. Or you've surrounded yourself with such adaptive people that the people fulfill your expectation ongoingly because they're so adaptive to you. And so you never get to actually be with them. You get to be with uh, just adapt like ro zombie robots that completely fulfill your expectation. The thing is, the point of making assumption and expectation is not for the other, your partner to actually fulfill them. That's not the purpose. The purpose is to, to feel the resentment because if you feel resentment, then you basically, you have proven that you've been victimized. You've proven that you've been betrayed and therefore it gives you the right to take revenge. You know, you've been hurt, so therefore I will hurt you. But that's the purpose of this whole box rigidity of assumption and expectation. Great. So it's, I mean, one, I don't know. I mean, this is a pretty wild experiment, but, and I think it will come back as we keep going in the book. Mm, but one experiment for this week could be, or would be to, to make, to live, to live this entire week was making no assumptions about anything. Somehow I felt like we've talked about this before, but it could have been with somebody else. And to make no assumption about, um, you know, even about what time you will wake up or about, you know, we talked about this last week, about what's in the fridge, you know, about what, you know, your roommate, did your roommate eat, eat, your, eat your cheese or, you know, what, what you bought in the fridge is still in the fridge. And make no assumption about, um, but then, so this is about things. And the proposal is that make the experiment about people. Notice how much assumption you have about the people who are around you, how they greet you, what language do they speak, what tone of voice do they use, what, um, how they dress or don't dress, how, uh, how they're with your children, how they behave in the street. You have all these assumptions about how this is how they are something like that and and so to catch yourself making to notice how many assumptions you've made and take them back just take back your assumption and notice what it's like to to be with people when you're not holding this whole wall of assumption and expectation 
I've been working on this new website the past few days and I just finished it today. It's called Person of Agency. And there's this, one of the experiments is to draw up or design essentially, or to notice the design that you have that gives you your agency in the world. So agency simply means to be able to accomplish things or to keep your commitments or to change things or to, to, to cause things to happen or not happen, to negotiate, like all of this agency. And it depends on a lot of things. I learned a lot in this website. And it, it came down for me that basically my inner structure is essentially a large bullshit detector and a very sharp sword. And that's it. And everything else is gone, <laughs> like, has no function. So when you start looking at your own inner structure, you'll find assumptions, expectations, conclusions, projections, stories, you know, all these uh, components of the ordinary world and and you'll 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 think that they're necessary I mean, you how else can you interact with people but if you're the way that you're interacting with people is that you basically since you cannot predict or you have no assumptions about what somebody's going to do or not do then then everything that you need about that to make it safe or to make it interesting or whatever you need is fake and really all you need is this just a large bullshit detector and then a sword to take care of yourself <laughs> anyway it's a pretty wild website so good luck i keep reading your box's self-defending structure provides you with rigid criteria to, to measure your circumstances against. If a, circum, if a circumstance does not meet your, meet your box's expectation, then it tells you that the circumstances, your partner, is wrong. If the circumstance does not change, this proves that the circumstance, your partner, is committed to being your enemy. Obviously, if your partner loves you, they would not attack you by doing things that are so infuriating. Anybody ever have that? Okay. Mm, I mean, that, I was, it was just, it made me think of this, um, this like this box rigidity, this structure also tells you if your relationship is working or not working. It's like if the circumstances is right, basically if your partner fulfills your expectation, then it's probably wired in yourself of, oh, I have a working relationship because things are good because my partner is fulfilling my box rigidity. And so that's also, you're measuring your relationship against your box structure. Is it working or not working? Okay, as a reminder, just uh, you can interrupt Clinton and I at, at any time or other people. 
So wishing for some someone else to change is the equivalent of wanting someone else to vote Republican or to become Buddhist. It is not up to you what they choose to do. If you vote Republican or become Buddhist, is that anyone else's business? What someone else does is out of your hands. If you think the problem with your horrible neighbor will be resolved by them moving out, just wait until they move out and the next horrible neighbor moves in. In most cases, the conflicts you have are not externally sourced by the circumstances. Your conflict are internally sourced by your own box. For example, have you ever been kept awake by someone else's party noise, midnight construction workers, someone snoring? Anybody? Why do you put your hand up? <laughs> Last night. <laughs> the linear solutions presented by the box for solving these problems, waking up the other person, seem so obvious. Go tell the neighbor to turn down the music. After all, don't they know what time it is? Complain to the city about the construction noise. Shove a sock in the snorer's mouth. These are linear solutions. What about nonlinear solution? What if instead of trying to force external conditions to change so that they match the rigid requirements specified by your box, you instead took your box into the liquid state where it could no longer hold rigid requirements. What if you apply the nonlinear possibilities of extraordinary human love? What if you decided that the local party animals are your best friend and you truly enjoy hearing them having such a great time together? What if you love the workers for sacrificing their night to repair things so you could live in a better city? What if you love that person snoring next to you so much that their snores wrap you in a warm blanket and rock you to sleep? The, the thing about that, or this, this whole domain of extraordinary human love, starts, I mean, it starts in adulthood. It's like you have to have a pretty big chunk of yourself pretty much stabilized in adulthood. Because I know a number of survival strategy who would uh, abuse themselves by loving their neighbors. I love my neighbors so that I have no boundaries. I love my neighbors so that they can manipulate me or control me or own me. Or I, I, I love the party animal and so I, um, I let myself be abused. Like I don't have enough sleep before I have a, a meeting the next morning or something like that. And so that is, that's not what the book is talking about or what we're talking about. Because that's, it's just an, an adaptive, um, really abusive, self-abusive survival strategy. And so what we're talking about is this in this phase one and phase two of adulthood, I'm sure there's other phases, but we've discovered phase one and phase two. And this phase one of adulthood is learning how to take care of yourself at 100%. So you walk in the world and you know you, you are taking care of yourself. You're taking care of your five bodies. You're taking care of your being. You're taking care of your heart. You're taking care of your physical body. 
you're taking care of your sleep, you're taking care of your relationship, whatever, you're taking care of yourself at 100%. And when you've learned to do that, which I think requires many emotional healing processes and experiment, then you can shift into having unfair conversation. Like these are unfair conversations because the other person, the construction worker or the party animals, they don't care. Like their numbness bar is so high that they don't care if they bother you or they disturb you or something else is going on in their party. So they can't have the conversation, but because you're on this path of evolution, you, you're, you're, you can be bigger. You're, be, you're being the bigger person, but not as a way to abuse yourself. So there's um, just notice that in yourself, that if you can't really take care of yourself 100%, there's some experiment of the uh, extraordinary love that you're not ready for yet. Something like that. Yeah. Cool, anything else, anything from anybody? Would you keep reading? Yeah. <clears throat> The box leads us, leads you to think that you can be happy by changing what you have. The box says that what you have determines what you can do. Then what you do determines whether or not you can be happy or satisfied or pleased or fulfilled. The way the box sees things, if, we, if you had a great job, then you could do what you really love to do and then you would finally be happy. The problem in the box's view is that you do not have the right job or the right partner or the right dress, et cetera. So when you spend all your efforts trying to get a new job, have more money in the bank, own the Z4 convertible and dust the souvenirs from your Egyptian vacation, but has anything changed for you? No you still make the same decisions to make the same actions as you did before because the place where your decisions and your actions come from has not changed. As Buckaroo Banzai says in the film of the same name, Buckaroo Banzai, wherever you go, there you are. And I'll add, and, and there they are too. Actually, that came from E.J. Gold. Okay. E.J. Gold adds, and there they are. So you can't escape them because you're actually making them from your box. So you might go somewhere else, there you are, and there they are too. So the place where your decisions and your actions come from is your being. They come from who you are. So this thing about wherever you go, how many people have seen the Buckaroo Banzai film, by the way? God, not enough. Unbelievable. This is Buckaroo Banzai's Adventures in the Eighth Dimension. This is so crucial. This is a teamwork building film. This is, this is, and the music is fantastic. And the aliens, God, Dr. Lazardo. I mean, you guys have to see this. Laugh while you can, monkey boy. <laughs> what? How many times have you seen it? <laughs> One. Okay. <laughs> so, yes, I can tell what you're doing tonight. Buckaroo Banzai, 
See, it's really great music. All right, I just wanted to make the point about the Buckaroo Banzai film. I mean, you know, there's so much matrix that can be built in a particular form, like study group builds matrix. Why are we doing this? Build matrix. Do you have to understand anything? Not really. What you really need to do is stay in the space. You need to stay in the space and not leave. Just stay in the space, you know, not go to sleep, you know, not spend your whole time, you know, talking to somebody else, really be there and it will build matrix for you. Well, okay, but there's so many other ways to build matrix. It, it, the idea is to build matrix in multiple different dimensions at the same time. So this is Bakuru Banzai in the eighth dimension. So you're building, you're building matrix in the eighth dimension when you watch the film. So it's just a crucial little side element. It's important. The, all right, don't get me started. Thinking about who you are before you think about what to do or what you have is not the box's strategy. The box's original commitment is to keep you the same, not to change who you are, because the box has ulterior motives behind its strategy. Keeping you the same is how the box thinks that it can guarantee your survival. It's so many things come down to this, that your box is just committed to your survival, which means keeping things the same because you have survived being the way you have been. So changing anything just freaks the box out. It can guarantee your survival. That's what the box thinks. The box's motivation is to assure survival, the box's motivation to assure survival is exactly what it is supposed to do for you until you're 18 years old. But after that, limiting you to merely surviving is a pitiable outcome compared to what is possible if you're really living. In fact, the formula may not work at all like the box markets it to work. Things may actually be the opposite. If being happy, for example, depends on what you did and found out that raking leaves made you happy, then it would be a certain and repeatable way to stay happy if you raked the leaves every day, all day long. But of course, this is nonsense. You already know by experience that even if raking leaves all day made you happy one day, there's no guarantee how you might feel raking leaves the next day or even the next minute. Being happy is a bright principle. So is being satisfied, fulfilled, challenged, engaged, excited, loving, generous, accepting, kind, grateful, communicative, spontaneous, and appreciative. Bright principles are forces of nature that move you to do what is necessary to do in each moment during your day. The bright principles you represent determine the qualities of who you are being. Out of the doing that flows from your bright principles that your being come the results of what you have. You get that? Out of the doing that flows from the bright principles that you are being comes the results of what you have. 
<clears throat> what you have turns out to be totally satisfying, no matter what it is, because what you have comes directly from who you are. And who you are is your own business. Seven thirty. We're halfway in. Yeah, is that right? We have people talk. <clears throat> Sky, you're scratching your left ear. That means you have something to say. So go ahead. What I was going to write down is start with who am I? Like it really landed for me that particular question. It's like, who am I right now? Where would you look for an answer to that? The first thing that comes is that components. I see the components. You must be a programmer. <clears throat> I'm transitioning. I'm a recovering programmer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, doesn't, it does not say it right here. I thought it yeah. would but it doesn't say it right here in the book, but what it comes down to is what you have is what you want. And the you about what you want, the what you is, is your box. You know, what your box contrives creates what you have. And you think that, you know, you may look at yourself and go, well, what I have is not what I want, but what kind of universe would that be? I mean, it, you look around your world, okay? Like you're like sky blue, you're sitting there on this couch, got this amazing woman on one side, this amazing guy on the other side, and it's probably an amazing couch. And I look out your window and I see there's an amazing tree and amazing sunshine. Okay, is that what you want? And if I asked you, you would go no, because you would have somewhere in your mind, you have like, I want, I want to live in a castle. I want to live in the ocean. I want to live, you know, with a hundred people who are all doing cool stuff or whatever, not just two people. So there's this conflict between, I mean, the information is right in our face, but what you have is what you want. This is in a radically responsible universe. And, and if, you, if, you, if you deny that, to try to deny that, you end up in this kind of self-made hell world of thinking that what you have is a mistake. It's not feedback for you. It's like, it's like somebody else's mistake. It's somebody else's. So, so Sky, what were you gonna say? I was gonna happily contradict because how my world is right now is exactly how I want it to be. It's just, a, it's a, it's, I, I'm so full of gratitude today to be exactly where I am, surrounded by the people that I am. However, that which you speak of is, is an ongoing struggle at different other times. So you caught me off guard in a place of exactly where I want to be right Each now. Each satisfaction and ultimate completion. God, I can only stand that for about three seconds. Then huh. I have to invent something. Yes, and... While you were speaking, another question 
arose, which is, okay, there are definitely desires and places and explorations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and the things that I want to have. So the question is, who do I want to become then? That's that's what came up for me. It's like, okay, yes, this is who I am, and this is where I, where where what my circumstances are, and I'm having what I'm having. However, it's it's not a, a position of stasis. Like I do want to keep going. I want to keep moving, and there are ideas and desires and movements. So who do I want to become in order for that to become possible? Or so that's that's what's being stirred up. Thank you. It leads Thank right you. into this next part of the book. I just want to start reading that. Let's see what happens. <clears throat> the section is it's on page 204. The section is called Be Responsible for Who You Talk to in Your Partner. Be Responsible for Who You Talk to in Your Partner. Changing what you have or what you do starts with changing who you are. How do you change who you are? Like ordering lunch at a restaurant, how do you order up which principles that you want to serve? If you do not place your order consciously in each moment for particular bright principles to serve, then what you get is the special of the day usually some slop from the underworld that your gremlin ordered while you were napping. You get that, that, that if it's not a conscious decision, it will be an unconscious decision and then it will be serving shadow principles ordered up as the favorite from your gremlin. You know, mention something about that. Oh, we made an agreement. I'm sorry. <laughs> the if you haven't distilled your bright principle i mean in terms of this question of um what you have to announce to be totally satisfying no matter what it is because it comes directly from who you are and one possibility of who you are is being your bright principles in action being the space for which your bright principles take action in the world and so it's great to for those who haven't done that to to distill your bright principles so you have some kind of grip of i was sharing today that i i did this experiment when i distilled my bright principles that i would spend a month being just one of my bright principles so i remember especially being transformation and so every morning i would wake up and i would look in the mirror and, I, and i'd say i'm transformation and then i would i would start these these spaces and conversation and interaction being being transformation so that that could be an experiment in terms of seeing what what is what shows up in your life when you are being something else in your box and as an option i mean it's it's a very different sort of thing than you might get from modern culture which is i want i'm rich i'm popular i'm famous i'm i'm well loved by everybody i have a lot of fans a growing circle of fans, you know, like all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's a completely different orientation towards what, what you are than the values that were given to us in modern culture. <clears throat> so clearly we're in the extraordinary domains already. So I'm gonna keep reading because it's the same, Go it goes right along with okay. that. So ordering from the menu, that whole idea of your order, like on Chloe saying she's ordering from the menu of possible bright principles, 
Ordering from the menu also applies to ordering what you want from your partner. Imagine that you are going to a fine restaurant, sitting at the perfect table, looking carefully through the elegant menu and ordering exactly those things that you hate to eat. You order the things that you hate to eat at this restaurant. But doesn't that sound crazy? <clears throat> you would be torturing yourself, but this is exactly what you do in ordinary human relationships. You look at your partner and what you focus on is what you do not like about them. You focus, on, you focus your attention on what you don't like. You feed those qualities with your energy and cause them to show up more intensely. <clears throat> you arrange to order from your partner what you hate most about them. And then you blame your partner for what you just ordered. Here is an experiment to try. If there are some behaviors in your partner that particularly irritate your box, stop placing an order for those behaviors. A human being is not a single solid and unchanging personality. A human being is an entire neighborhood of personalities. These days I call it a zoo. No, a human being is a zoo. Your partner is a human being. So just like every other human being, your partner experiences and expresses a vast array of characteristic qualities during their day. Why are you consistently dialing up grumpy or ditzy when you could be really want to be with who is Captain Jack Sparrow? Cross the old character out of your phone book and dial up the characters that you want to enjoy. If you accidentally dial the wrong number, you apologize. You hang up and you try again. You say, sorry, not that one. I'm, I'm not speaking to that one. I want to speak with the other guy. When your partner says, he's busy, he's out to lunch, he's not available right now, then you say, I'd like to make an appointment for when he returns. I'm only interested in speaking with him directly. I'll call you back later. And then you do exactly that. You walk out and wait until you call them up later. So you don't have to talk to the, the ones you don't want to. I mean, that would be crazy. That's like ordering the food that you hate and paying 100 euros for your meal. The box is what the box is. The characters of the box are the characters of the box. There are characters in your partner's neighborhood box whom you truly love, admire, and appreciate. Call them up and enjoy the hell out of it. And the rest of them, let them do their thing. None of those characters are any of your business or any of your responsibility. Spend your time visiting with your favorites. Why not? Nobody's coming up with why not. <laughs> Well, then what will my gremlin eat? That's what you have to say. Well, my gremlin will starve if I don't. I mean, most people, most ordinary relationships use their relationship as the primary gremlin feeding source. Do you ever see anybody do that? Use their primary relationship as their main gremlin feeding source. God. So you... 
If I keep talking, well, I'll start crying, so I'm not going to talk about it. <clears throat> Every human being is involved in their own unique process of development, dealing with their own particular issues in their own unique time. Our evolution, your evolutionary process is no one else's business. It is private. This means that it is not your job to educate your partner or to heal your partner or to change your partner. If their mother could not change them, why do you think that you can? This is really a good question. It is your job to respect your partner, enjoy your partner, and accept them exactly how they are. And it is your job to take care of your own evolutionary needs. If that means reading books, attending talks, being in trainings, meeting with your men's or women's circle, doing meditation or martial arts practices, whatever you need, take care of getting it for yourself. Do not wait around thinking that your partner can provide you with all the energetic vitamins and minerals necessary to maintain your five bodies in good health. The fallacy of thinking that both partners in a relationship will evolve at the same rate and have the same requirements at the same time will only lead to frustration and deep resentments. Has anybody ever had that? Expecting your partner to do this at the same. There's a spark about it too. It's called parallel evolution is a fallacy, something like that. It's a great spark about that. Extraordinary human relationship is not about holding yourself back for the comfort of your partner. The relationship itself, the relating itself, is part of what moves you forward. It is up to you to make use of it that way. It's an opportunity. I have to read this next part because we're in Italy. The title of this part is called Do the Italian Thing. In many cultures of the world, arguing with your mate immediately up front and out loud is offensive <laughs> and unacceptable. What are you laughing about? I'm I, I sense where this is going. <laughs> How many people get it that it's impolite to just argue with your partner up front and out loud? Anybody get that? Yeah. We're talking to some people in Germany, you know, in the French part of Canada. Those people, particularly in modern Western cultures where we have been civilized. The storm rider in us has been anesthetized. Got that? The storm rider in us has been put to sleep. What we forget is that our concept of being civilized is totally relative, depending completely on which civilization we are raised in. Travel to Greece sometime or Italy, hang around small shops and back street neighborhoods. Soak in the way people talk to each other. Before long, you will notice how hot their conversations are. People do not even talk to each other, actually. They shout at each other. They argue, rant, rail each other about every incident or question. Their interactions are consistently and repeatedly intense. And this behavior is completely normal in that culture. 
In fact, they do not even notice what they're doing until such time as they travel to another country where the conversation habits are different. An Italian person in Germany cannot understand why the German people are so cold and aloof with each other. It feels distant and makes no sense. Arguing hotly with your mate is not necessarily bad or wrong. It is not necessarily immature or irresponsible. It could be an experiment, interacting in a different style, portraying a different character. It could be giving yourself more permission to be publicly passionate about what you're already privately passionate about. The point here is to not always stick to monotone and logic in your interactions. Try doing the Italian thing sometimes. Exploding with passion now and then gets the juices flowing in ways and in places where maybe the juices have been stagnating for far too long. Try ranting, raving, and whipping up a little chaos now and then to stir the soup, shake the scorpions, to paraphrase Emile Zola, quote, life is meant to be lived out loud, end quote. Breaking out of the somnambulant, which means sleepwalking, smiling, nice girl or nice guy mask, plastered on us by well-meaning parents, relatives, and school teachers in modern civilization can be nearly impossible. Breaking out can be nearly impossible. Extracting yourself from this glutinous sweetness will not happen by itself. You either make efforts to break the mold or you continue to get, to, to get, make, continue to get, who put the get word, get there. If you continue to make efforts to break the mold, wait, I'll start again. You either make efforts to break the mold or you continue to make efforts to break the mold or you continue to get moldy. You either make <laughs> efforts to break the mold or you continue to get moldy. That's, that's it. I think that, I think the editor is freaking out <laughs> by this point. After this book, the editor came to me. We worked hard on this book together. She, she was in Arizona. She looked at me and goes, I will never edit another book from you. He said, I go, oh, why is that? She goes, don't even ask. It was like, it was a, a rough ride. Experimenting with the Italian thing may feel like you're going a little bit crazy. Great. We get so worried sometimes about losing control or going out of our mind or stepping over the limit or being impolite, hurting other people's feelings or coming unglued, losing our marbles and so on. We're so habitually flaccid that our vitality dribbles away like an old man's piss. Spunk can instantaneously reignite itself as soon as you unlock your own handcuffs, wake up the storm rider, or pull the rubber pacifier out of your own mouth that they shoved in there so long ago to keep you quiet. Pirates do not wear pacifiers. God, that should be a t-shirt. Go knock on some doors after midnight. Wake yourself up and wake the neighbors up. The Italian thing, it comes and it goes. 
Afterward, you can share cappuccinos and cantuccini and laugh together. Sounds great, doesn't it? I, I would add to this experiment as a different version is to also kiss passionately in the street. I don't, I haven't seen a lot of Italian people do that here, but they do shout and rant and scream at each other. But I just, I've been in so many processes with people and, and the thing I hear is I never saw my parents kiss. I never saw my parents really hug each other or really cuddle on the couch or really, and, and, and for me, it's like when I walk the street, it's so rare that when I, find, I see people really kissing or really hugging each other, I, I pause and I appreciate that because it's, it's so rare. And so I would add that to the list of being passionately out there in public. <laughs> you have other reasons. <laughs> me know I'm an experimenter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, the experiment thing works. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, <clears throat> you want an experiment, you just slowly approach somebody who you don't know on the street and say uh, free hugs and just give them one of those big passionate hugs and then you kiss at the end. God, that'll make their day. Angela. I have the question um, because I somehow I'm in German, but I have parts of Italian uh, temperament, even though no Italian blood. But uh, what is the difference now between then having a gremlin feast and freaking out? Yeah, and um, just what was described in the book. Yeah, because for me, it's often like this, there comes something, there is like, it's like with the weather, yeah, there is uh, some clouds are forming and then it's the thunder and lightning and then comes rain and storm and wah, and then it's gone. And then I can drink cappuccino, but for my environment or for my ex-partner, it's not like that. Yeah. And um, I can also say, I'm not sitting in the steering wheel then and can decide, oh, actually, no, today, no tornado. <laughs> yeah, so. The, the whole, the really, it's a, a wonderful question because it's, it's the path. The question is about the path for me, which means about inner navigating. And so like we're talking about with Nicole, it's also about purpose and you can tell when the purpose is feeding your gremlin, you can feel that your gremlin gets fed and then it's, then it's full and then it drops off. And that it's not what we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, I can say, for example, um, I'm, I'm really like, I feel like I'm having a little eye to eye thing of slowly catching coming in front of the reaction yeah for example this morning i had with a colleague she was saying something and i was starting to react and, and then i said i have resistance against it but let's put it on the side at the moment yeah so i still had a resistance coming i still expressed some of the resistance but then two seconds later i i could say just it's a resistance and I don't care for it now. Let's put it on the side. So I really feel like um, 
get get yeah catching some land there yeah yeah i'm gonna i want to say that you just described years of inner work yeah the years of decades of inner work of self-observation noticing yeah. no god oh my god i just did it again and you're at that place where you get choice which is yeah. you're about to do it yeah. you're about to go that way and it, that's the moment where you have the choice yeah and i'm i'm slowly coming there yeah on Sunday, I was. It was five seconds later. I went back and said, "Can we do a do-over?" Mm -hmm. So it's really. I'm. Well, yeah. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> After fifty years of praying, I'm really yes, it is. And I'm right now also, yeah. Yeah, it really is. It really shows that this stuff works. If you start noticing and paying attention to purpose and consequences and how, how it goes and what happens, it, you, it's clear you can inter-navigate and you can make choices now that you could not make before. You know, it's, if, you, know, you can do this little experiment right now, which is think back to who you were 10 years ago. Just think back to who you were 10 years ago, what your life was about, how you were relating to the world. And you go, yes, I'd be 10 years younger. But how, how many of you would actually like to go back and be who you were 10 years ago? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah, me, yeah, me either. I mean, he was a jerk. He was, a, he was an unconscious asshole in my case. You know, there's so many things that I've learned the hard way and uh, special, special things I've learned the hard way also. And I would not want to go back to that. And so, I don't know, it's useful to remember sometimes that why am I doing this? Like, what, you know, what good is this? Or... And then think back 10 years and go, oh, well, that's why I'm doing this. <laughs> you know, because I don't know what it's like for you, but for me, you know, things don't radically change so often. You know, think all of a sudden become aware of things and things will change around and I get to be different. But usually it's, you know, little bit, little bit, plotting, practicing, you know, trying something, mm -hmm. sitting, you know, trying something. And it just kind of gradually goes along. And then, but that gradual going along is far faster than the ordinary speed of evolution. Like human beings, if we're not on a path of evolution, we're, what happens is, is that we usually evolve just as we're dying on the deathbed. You know, we lived our life, you know, stuff happened, and we're laying there dying, and we go, shit, you know, I should have done this more. Or why didn't I do that? So if you're lucky, you die slowly and you have enough time to consider your life a little bit. And that's when evolution happens. And then you're dead and you start over. So that's why, uh, that's why some people think sudden death is not so funny because you don't get this chance, you don't get this chance to, uh, <laughs> to reconsider your life. I mean, on the other hand, on the back of the t-shirt it says sudden death is funny, but 
So, so the point is that's how evolution usually occurs. But if you're if you have this weird hobby of of self you know, personal development of going on an evolutionary path of practicing, of doing experiments, building matrix and, and trying things. If you have that as your hobby, you will be moving faster than the speed of evolution. So actually you get to live multiple lives in one life. I wanna ask you a question. How many people have lived one or two or three lives already? And, and you, you go through and then this thing crashes on you, you know what I mean? It crashes and you start all over again. You wonder why did this happen? Well, it, it happened because you succeeded. It happened because you succeeded at evolving enough to have lived that life. And then what's, the, what's Echo supposed to do with you? You know, it crashes your world and start, gets you to start over again. Um, a Mune was there and she just disappeared. She put her hand up. I don't know who that is. Do you know who she is? So in any case, Ingrid, Ingrid go ahead. I'm back. And when we wanted to hear your story. What, what, ha what happened? Mm, I think I was thinking in that moment I put my hands up that that thing that I realized, the thing of like being on your deathbed and feeling like now you're gonna have to go through over this whole thing. And then like, that's it at the end. I feel like I, I had that in like a medical context. Um, that I almost died and then I realized if I don't do something different now then I am going to die for like my actual physical body and then everything will just be the same like I've always wanted it to be if I don't make a change now and decide now to not die and to do something different in my life then like that's that's the end um, and like that's a choice I felt then I felt it was a choice and I feel like it's still a choice to keep doing it now thank you mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. Thank you for that example. And Ingrid, you're going to say something? Yes. I, I'm on a transformational path since many years. And my problem was I have an ideal and an idea how, how is still uh, how it should be so that I'm... I noticed that I'm often pretending being wiser or mature than I'm uh, than I really am. And uh, today, when I I talk with you, Aunt Chloe, I felt the beauty just be there where I am. You said to me, um, "Yeah, we were exchanging about space holding," and you said to me, "Yeah, I noticed your fear." because you are uh, giving me an answer on my question so quickly. And that, that's because you are avoiding to feel that fear. And I, this moment, I was so glad. It was the truth and it was simply an insight through you about the truth exactly where I am, not pretending, not far before or behind, just where I am. And th this was such a joy to be 
I don't need to be uh, to 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 be somewhere. I only need to be where I am, and and to 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 work the little step and the little insight which is there, and that's joy, that's life. And uh, yeah, this I wanted to say, to share. Thank you. Thank you. In terms of this path of evolution, I'm, I'm reminded of what you were sharing, Eva, in the beginning about this freak out that you had after the rage club. And I want to tell you, it happened to me a few times. I can remember three or four experiences where I was where I was. And then all of a sudden, it just went. <sighs> and, and my box did not have the time to adjust, you know, as like one step at a time. And I barely noticed the transformation. It just did not have time. And I, I, I ended the space and it was freak out mode. I mean, sleepless nights. Like my whole, I thought people would hate me or that the world would collapse. And it usually takes, for me, it took like one time it took a week for my box to actually get used to my, the new shape of my being. But I think it also happens sometimes like that in sort of just like, just a big step. <sighs> and to, it's, for me, it was great to have people to talk to and get the feedback of how was that really? Like, did I go too far? Did I? You know, was it my gremlin? Was it, did I destroy the space? And then the ongoing feedback was, it was great. It was, it was perfect. It was what was needed. And that helped my box to expand around my, the new shape of my being. So I'm hoping you got, you got feedback, Eva. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, <clears throat> Angela, I, I had something for you. The proposal is, um, in terms of this ranting and, 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 and fighting and doing the Italian thing is, my proposal would be do it, still do it, do it consciously. Because in a way that will feed your gremlin, you know, you, and, and the, the experiment is to stay awake the whole time to get you completely doing conscious theater with the other person, but it will feed your gremlin to a degree that it might not need to have the um, this reaction, this on you know this tornado reaction that you were talking about because it's fed, and so you can take preventive measure of feeding your gremlin before it gets hungry, and that's it's a great way to do it. And your gremlin knows how to do it. You know, it just it just kind of it's a specialty. So yeah, and you can even shift identity. You can put on the Italian thing. You can, you can yeah. shift your face, your body, your language, posture, and just tell people it's Italian time. You know, you just go in for 30 seconds or a minute, and it will also consciously feed your gremlin and move your energy around in a different way. And if you frame it, you don't have to be Angela, mm -hmm. and you can be somebody else doing this thing. People will get to know your different characters pretty soon. Then we put you on a stand-up mic stage, and you can become rich and famous. But I will from tomorrow on. I attend a two weeks SD course forums course in Tamara. No, so we have a course, and some internal people can uh, attend. And it's self dismantling. It's like the forum, but where you go in and you selbstdarstellung self-performance where you show really where you would like you would say the you make the italian thing yeah but with an announcement or really 
perform it, yeah, show it. And I will do now a two weeks course and um, yeah. So we, <clears throat> I just want to make a distinction between what I said and performance. Because performance is fake. And everybody knows it's fake. And even when you put your voice into this performance mode, it was fake. I'm talking about for real. So I would encourage you to find that difference, especially in Tamara, there's plenty of space to get fucking real and stay there, really stay there. Don't get off into some kind of performance thing. A lot of people will be doing performance and it's just nauseating in a way. It's just kind of a waste of time, but stay, you know, and so let the, you know, explore that place in you that is real, but not, does not fit in that angular box. It's not performing, it's very different. Okay, yes, I get it now. Great, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm afraid that Kundun is gonna move out, to, move on to the next section and I have a logistical announcement. Um, Clinton and I are moving to Southeast Asia for, probably for the next few months. So this time, uh, right now, to meet for the study group in Southeast Asia is in the middle of the night. So this is not going to work out for us. So we're proposing a shift of day and time, which would be on Saturdays on the weekend at 3. Is that 3 p.m.? Yeah, 3 p.m. until there's some, the daylight changing, the daylight saving thing, and we'll figure it out. But so we're meeting again, not next Monday, because Clinton and I are traveling, but on Saturday, the 15th of October, that's when the next meeting is, at 3 o'clock German time. Great. So yeah. next Monday, we'll not, we'll not be meeting. Yeah, Good. we'll not be meeting. So the information will be provided also on the logistics, but just wanted to let you know. And go ahead. No, you. Okay. There's this great movie called uh, Jim and Andy. How many people have seen it? It's a documentary called Jim and Andy. Many people. What? Oh, two. Okay. So, and it's about this distinction between perform. I mean, in a way, it's this distinction between performing and be and and shifting identity and becoming the thing that is speaking in a different way has different vocabulary, different tone of voice and different possibility. And, and also, I mean, it's connected to, you know, that whatever, shift of identity and we're, we're all connected, we're all connected. So it's a great documentary in terms of having access to other possibilities than being yourself. I'm posting it here. Thank you. I'd like to whip through one more section to put it on the table before we end. It's on uh, page 206, it's called, Do Not Date to Find a Mate. It says, looking for a partner while using what we typically understand to be dating, creates so many problem offspring, you know, baby problems, that you will spend most of your energy running in circles, trying to undo the difficulties that the problems create. The conventional idea of dating is to present yourself attractively so as to make a fine catch of a partner. The joke becomes apparent when you realize that you are falsely representing yourself so as to find a quote unquote perfect match. 
who turns out to also be falsely representing themselves. No wonder you get disappointed. It's an old joke, but with the popularity of silicon implants, liposuction, hair waxing, and Botox injections, the joke is eminently worth retelling. One man on his wedding night waits for his new bride to get undressed for bed. She goes in the bathroom, takes off her wig, her girdle, her padded bra, her false eyelashes, her makeup, and her colored contact lenses. When she re-enters the bedroom, her husband screams in fright because he does not recognize her at all. He thought he was in the wrong hotel room. Dating is a way to try to outsmart mother nature. We think we can make a better choice about our partner than she can. And in this case, I would substitute the word mother nature for echo, which is the earth coincidence control office. So yeah, so the earth coincidence control office is really organizing how people meet up with each other. So we think we can make a better choice about our partner than echo can. We have all heard stories of computer dating agencies producing lifelong relationships. We have also heard stories of people winning the lottery. The point is that if you focus all your efforts on finding a mate, once you have one, what are you going to do with it? Then you can finally start living, question mark. I strongly suggest that you live first. You get on with your way. You find out where you are going before you try to find someone to go with you. You get that? You know, a lot of people try to find somebody to go with them. And then they go, well, I want to go. I want to do this path. And the other person says, I want to do this path. And so all that time was wasted because you want to go different places. So the point is, get on your way. Uh, first, finding out who you are and where you're going allows the, law, the laws, it allows the laws of precession to come into play. Precession is a term from physics. It means that when certain objects are in motion, then sideways forces can come out of nowhere and influence how the object moves. I mean, the precession is what makes a boomerang turn around and come back when you throw it in the air a certain way. The thing to remember about boomerangs is that they do not come back if you do not throw them first. You have to throw them before the third force can come in and make it turn around. And there's a song from Australia, it's called, My Boomerang Does Not Come Back. My Boomerang Did Not Come Back. It's this long song about my boomerang did not come back. And the end is the guy says, well, when are you gonna throw it? You have to throw <laughs> it first. So an object has to be moving before the laws of precession can take effect. So I don't know if this, here we go, I think it is. For example, if you decide that you want to find a partner, a mate, and you go to a party for that purpose, you probably will not have much luck. But if you seriously get into your life and you take actions toward creating what really matters to you, and that's a crucial thing is finding out what really matters to you and put that in the middle of your life. Put that in the middle of your life instead of trying to make enough money to survive. 
you know, many people put that um, trying to make enough money to survive at the middle of their life. They're not living their life. They're doing this fake survival thing. So you put what really matters to you at the center of your life. Then when you need some lettuce, you of course go to the farmer's market to buy some lettuce. And the man next to you, as he's, he's picking up the lettuce, he goes, sniff the stem of the lettuce. And you look at this guy and go, what? He goes, yeah, sniff the stem. If it smells bitter, try another one. If it smells sweet, it's a tasty head of lettuce. And then you get to talking and it turns out that he hires you to help with a project that is exactly in your field of expertise. While doing your work, you represent the project at a trade fair. And there, working across from you in a competing booth is this woman and she becomes your partner. This is how the laws of precession work. This is how echo works. When you are in authentic motion, serving your destiny, serving your archetypal lineage, then sideways forces can create coincidences that support your evolution. If you are not propelled into motion, if you're not being moved by the force of your destiny, then echo does not have the elbow room, you know, to work with you. False motion is not good enough. Like pretending is not good enough. Being busy with dating so as to find the perfect number 10 to fulfill your fantasy image is false motion, false movement. There was just this little section, do not date to find a mate. What are you going to do about it? God, nobody's saying anything. I could finish this section. This next part is called Be Wrong. I want to share something. Christina, <laughs> it's about time. Because I use dating as a training center. I, I, I had, like, it was this... Okay, how, how do I really honestly talk to men, really say what I want? And so I, I put my profile on this dating platform, Earth Awakened People or something, and then, <laughs> and Earthling, something, yeah, it's, it, but it's kind of a conscious, very spiritual platform. And I thought this is where I find good um, sparing partners actually. And then I found two guys and it was amazing. I could learn how, like try and error, how to say authentically what I really want. And there was no risk. It was perfect. It was so cool. And somehow I, I raised my, my level of awareness of um, how, to, how to express myself, my fear level, um, kind of lowered, I lowered my fear level, how to speak up um, with men. So dating can be a training center as well. So just to give another proposal, it worked. And after two weeks or something, Martin came around the corner, so. And Martin, <laughs> Martin, tell us the truth. <laughs> tell us the truth how this happened. Do, going around the corner, <laughs> I, I, I was in a lab and I was 
there was a there were you clinton you were kind of saying there are people who are bumping into you and the people want to speak with you when you are bumping into you like unconsciously bumping into you and i was sitting there in front of uh like we were starting the intimacy cafe and christina again bumped into me and i was like i, I look at her and i do you know that you bumped already four times this day to me <laughs> no <laughs> She bumped into you four times in one day and she didn't know about it? Of yes. course. <laughs> Echo. Echo's good. Come on. Come on. Get <laughs> Thank you. Wait. What? What? <laughs> no, you need the end of the story. It's a really good story. So, do you want to share? Go. Go okay. Ahead. So then I was like, I want to speak to you. Like, I want to speak to this woman who is bumping into me. So I went into the intimacy cafe, I sit next to her. And I went to this kind of exploratory journey. How, how, like, what is going on? How to create intimacy? And then and we started to kind of experiment. What I, I kind of, I want to hug you. I was just, no, 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 no. Like, what about holding just hands? I was like, okay. I was kind of learning how to be intimate with her. And I do remember one moment in that evening, like we, we created such a bubble full of full of love that even Clinton kind of leaned next to us, like on a side, he was like sitting there and eating his mango, mango. and enjoying, enjoying the, the lovingly bubble we were, <laughs> we were in. <laughs> and kind of, it was beginning of the journey together. It was the beginning of our journey, discovering the intimacy together. Yeah, there was more. But... <laughs> There's more? Well, I heard that the, the cat people left the cafe and left the cafe and left the cafe. And it was basically just you two there and Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, no. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm just going to do this here. Be wrong. This is section is an experiment about being wrong. You have to choose what is more important to you, being right or being an extraordinary human connection relating. For your box, the choice is obvious. Being right is much more important. Making the other person wrong, your partner, your boss, your kids, your parents, is much more important. Winning is much more important. But if you have a different set of priorities than your box, if experimenting with extraordinary human relationship is more important to you than being right, well then focus in focus on being focus on relating and let the facts fall where they may, let the facts fall where they may. It's a, it's a thing from newspapers. They used to sell these papers in newspapers and they would sell advertising. And the advertising paid for the newspaper. And so the, the guys who were laying out the newspaper, they would put the advertising first and then they would let the articles fall where they may. You get that? So they could put the, you know, the article on page seven, but the advertising has to be on page two. So, but, and so can you let your facts fall where they may? 
What is so important about details anyway, when what you have here is a genuine opportunity to be in an extraordinary human relating with him or her, do-overs are possible. If by habit you've created the conversation to result in you being right, and if you, you set it up so that you're accidentally right, whether your position is obnoxiously superior or not, you quickly apologize and get off saying, say, whoops, excuse me, I didn't mean to be right. Let me try that again. And without waiting for a comment, immediately start over all the way from the beginning and say hello, creating a different result than you being right. For an extra credit experiment, arrange the conversation so that you end up being wrong. If you are wrong, then you can ask for help or for feedback and coaching. If you're right, the game is over. You win, they lose. If you're wrong, then there are myriads of options still open to both of you for continued exploration. There's more options when you're wrong. By making yourself wrong, I do not mean to actually cause destruction, waste, pain, or confusion. To be wrong is a way to be in relationship where you do not automatically fulfill the box's desires to know, to feel safe, to be in control, or to be right. The experiment is to come from the perspective of not knowing and to make being with in extraordinary human relating a higher priority than the security of knowing for the box of being right. That's the experiment. I'll add a caution that some of you even here have a box where your box is right about being wrong. <laughs> it's about, you're right about, it's your fault, you did it wrong, you did it bad, you're wrong, for, you're a bad person, you're beating yourself up. So that you still, your box is still trying to be right about you being wrong. So even be wrong about being wrong. That would be the experiment for people half with of, such boxes. Half of the people in here, be wrong about being wrong. God, that'd be a great experiment. God, most people here actually. Be wrong about being wrong. Martina, come on. And Anna, God, being wrong about being wrong. Ragi, come on, you guys. Susanna, Avrena, God. Be wrong about being wrong. All right, there's almost no time to say anything else. Anybody want to say anything else? Eva. I like with talking about this, I notice I have I have this block. I have somehow this block here, which is I notice when I'm in conversation where I'm not right and, and there's more this direct connection, then I, I can barely be in that because then this thing comes up and i want to ask if someone here would hold space for me to take that out do an emotional healing process about that would somebody hold space for ava about that somebody like to do that so nicole wagner christina and joseph what a team thank you cool thank you anybody else anything else right now yes i have an invitation as we talked about nonlinearity, that this Thursday, I offer um, 
um, non-linear playground and it's open to everybody to join to yeah to research and to practice non-linearity it's taking place on thursday at 12 mexican time 1 et time or 7 p.m german time it's online right it is in the group of upgrade your hardware and in the gremlin transformation group Great. Can you Great. put it in the uh, actions, activities? What is it called? No, PM, PM events. PM okay. events. Yeah. You got it in the PM events group? I can share it there as well, yes. Great. Thank you. All right, you all, experiment well. You know, there are, nobody can experiment for you. Just go for it. You know, can you experiment or can't you experiment? Like, that's the only question. Okay. Thank you. See you on Saturday. Saturday next week. Bye -bye. Saturday the 15th. Bye. Yeah. Thank you. Bye, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.